on this episode. We'll be joined by a depressed Orioles fan on Instagram. We'll look at what was a rough weekend at the trap for the Orioles. We'll also be answering some of your questions and previewing a key series in Toronto to wrap up this seven-game divisional road trip. All of this and much more next on the Verdi Breakdown Podcast. So game one in Toronto, the Orioles won 10-3 behind a great performance by Austin Voth. They took it to Kluber as they tagged him for seven runs. Hadley started things off in the first inning with one out, tanking a, a solo homer to right field off of the catwalk. And then Mullins also hit another homer off the catwalk in the eighth inning. And Mateo had five hits. It's really good to see from Jorge Mateo, who's turned it around ever since the All-Star break. The Orioles tallied 19 hits in total and beat the Rays 10-3. to But they couldn't keep this momentum going into the next two games as they had a chance to take the season series over Tampa and a playoff tiebreaker as well. They couldn't get the job done in either as the bats went silent and Baltimore had just three runs on 10 hits in the last two games after scoring 10 runs on 19 hits in just the first game alone. In game two, D.L. Hall had his first major league start. It was a rocky one. A few ups, but mostly down for him. And then in game three, Randy Rosarena, the Oriole killer, was the difference. Hit a three-run bomb off of Jordan Lyles on a 3-2 count, a crucial play in that game. There's a controversy over whether or not the, the Orioles should have walked him with an open base at first base and Peralta on deck, who's not necessarily known as a power hitter. But the Rays took game three and the season series over Baltimore and that crucial tiebreaker in the wildcard race. Coming into the series as a whole, I expected us to go two for three. And honestly, it was looking pretty good up until this game. Uh, when we came into the Saturday game against McClanahan, I kind of expect us to lose. I know it's not the greatest like expectation, but McClanahan's a Cy Young candidate. And the Rays, uh, they they just play well when he's pitching. We saw him in Baltimore. Uh, but when we went up 10-3, we blew out Tampa. It felt good. And then we walked into the Saturday DL holiday. Uh, we didn't know who's pitching until that Friday night. So when D.L. Hall came up, I was also expecting it, but I was excited to watch him. And you mentioned all his highs and his lows, but it was good. We'll see him up here in a little bit. He got optioned back, but we'll see him in a reliever role, which I think he'll be fine in backing up like an opener like Voth. Uh, regardless, coming into today's game, uh, I expected us to win. And then I saw the lineup and uh, I dropped a little bit because Castle was hurt. He was out. And then we have Brett Phillips playing, which is fine. I'm not against it. It's against his hometown team. And I, I was actually coming back from a trip. So I was listening on the radio and I got to the eighth inning and I realized, oh, wow, it's a, it's a perfect game. And I started to get nervous. And then Mateo broke it up, our only hit of the day. Rasmussen was amazing. Uh, It was just, it was a frustrating series. And I, I, we're, we're a game and a half back. And as you mentioned, the tiebreaker, it just, it hurts to look at. Uh, it, it, we're really two and a half back if you think about it because they have the tiebreaker and with game no game 163 it's going to be really tough we've lost series to the uh to the Mariners the Rays and the Twins so we don't have any of those tiebreakers so that just makes it even more of a challenge for us to make the postseason in game two things were looking up for the Orioles yeah the, the Rays scored first in the first inning it was one nothing but then they get two runs in the second, and then D.L. Hall starts to fall apart after that great. He struck out the, the side in the bottom of the second inning, including a Rosarino, so that was good to see. Um, but, yeah, 
it's it, it's a really really bummer, big bummer for the Orioles. All these teams that they've lost se- season series to, like the Twins, like the the Rays, and teams like this, they're all in the thick of things for the wild card spot in this race that's going to come down to what we think is going to be tiebreakers, and the Orioles aren't in a good spot for that. So even though their playoff chances weren't very high coming into this um, series, now they're dwindling, and it's not looking great for Baltimore. But still, about 55 games to go, and all hope is not lost. We made it this far. Why stop now? Yeah, so we had to Toronto for a three-game series, like I mentioned on the previous pod. That's a big That's a big series. Uh, if we don't take two out of three, it doesn't look great, uh, considering that we're two and a half behind them. They lost today. Uh, but regardless, we have to take two out of three, or else it, it, it won't look great. And uh, it's a big series. Uh, I don't know who Toronto's sending out. I don't know who we're sending out, so we have to wait and see on that. Uh, but yeah, like it's just it's just a huge series overall. Toronto's sending out um it's kind of game one's Kikuchi, then it's Manoa, then it's Stripling, I'm pretty sure. Kikuchi, that better be a win. I'm saying game one. Game two, Manoa, we've we've shown that we can beat him. So I'm looking forward to that game as well. Stripling hasn't been the best. So this can be a sweep. I, this just it has to be like a winning series. We have to take at least two out of three. Yeah, Stripling is taking the spot of Jose Barrios in that Toronto rotation. Barrios has struggled a lot this season. They gave him over $150 million um, after they traded for him from Minnesota a couple of years ago. But, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big change in the Toronto rotation. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, we, we got to Manoa. Yeah, we only got a few runs off of him. But we exposed his weaknesses and then Kikuchi. I mean, even Blue Jays fans don't like him. So a big opportunity to capitalize off of him on Monday. All right, so circling back to Friday, I have my player this series, and this is interesting because I I was debating to go whether with uh between Jorge Mateo Rignetter Dor, but I ultimately decided, and this is a sur- surprise, is Austin Voth. Uh, I I had the candidates there, but Austin Voth really impressed me considering the circumstances that that he's in. Uh, actually, I think we've kept him kept, or Hyde's kept him around for as long as we have. It's only been a couple months. We picked him up in early June off of waivers from Washington, and he was really struggling in Washington. But I think that we kept him because Hyde wants him as more of a bullpen, maybe even an opener role down the stretch. Uh, anyway, he was he was really good. He he was exceptional. He really surprised me, and I was I was thoroughly impressed. I believe he had a no hitter going into the sixth inning before it was broken up by a Jose series infield single. And then the Rosarena hit the two run homer, but uh, he's been fantastic since he's uh, come over from Washington. Uh, and I saw this stat on Twitter. It was by Zachary silver. Uh, he said that uh, both since moving into the rotation has sported a 3.03 ERA, uh, 11 strikeouts in 30 and two thirds innings. And he now has a 3.2 a 3.21 ERI since joining Baltimore. So it's really impressive to see from both. Yeah, well, now my player of the series is probably Mateo. Like, both impressed me. And since he's joined Baltimore, he's really, like, impressing the hell out of me. Like, it's crazy, though, because, like you said, he was probably, like, one of, if not the worst pitcher in the entire league when he was with Washington. He was very, very bad. And I remember his first game with us, it was, like, a relief roll, and he already gave up runs. I'm like, oh, this man is going to be rough, but no, he's really, really impressed me since he's come over to Baltimore, but Mateo, dude, Mateo, he, well, not only did he break up the perfect game today, which for people that watch my live stream, I was going insane 
for that. He he saved us there. Um, but you no, know, he went five for five the day before. Like he was probably like the best guy in that series. Yeah, well, guys like Ruthnet Odor Odor as well, even though he pisses me off majority of the time going four for five that game. Like he was really impressive as well. I mean, overall, it was a disappointing series. I was expecting two out of three, um, even against McClanahan, like as we've shown that we can hit off a good pitchers before, you know, Garrett Cole, Manoa. So why not McClanahan? And we did, we got a couple runs off of him, but um, you know, it's just disappointing, but we are certainly not out of this wild. This is a tough schedule going forward. And Seattle does have a very easy schedule, so they definitely have the upper hand. But um, this season's not over yet. I have, I have high expectations. Let's go, O's, baby. Yeah, if you told me, if you told me in April, uh, that we'd be only a game and a half behind in the wild card race, I'd actually be really shocked. Considering, and if you told me this roster, uh, it's just really impressive. So I really, actually, it's really impressive to see where we're at, and I really like our chances despite our tough schedule. I mean, it's it's a game and a half. That that's just, that's just so crazy. I mean, this may not be our year, but next year, look out, Gunner. We're gonna figure out when Gunner comes up. G Rod's gonna be back. We're gonna add in the offseason. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. Um, but so for my player of the series, I considered both. I mean, I just think the work that he's done since joining Baltimore has been really impressive. They mentioned on the Madison broadcast that there was after the game on July fourth. Um, Mateo had a meeting with Brandon Hyde and Ryan Fuller, the hitting coach, to talk about, you know, how he can make these adjustments at the plate, because at that time he was hitting 194 and was in a really bad slump. But ever since then, he's been batting over 333 and has been on a complete tear. And he added six hits in this series um, and four doubles. His average since July 4th, when he had that meeting, went from 194 now to 231. Um, so really good stuff from Jorge Mateo. So he gets my player of the series. Not to mention that he's been still been stellar defensively. So that's another bonus from him. Yeah. And they also mentioned on the Madison broadcast um, about Austin Voth, um, that he had been apparently uh, Chris Holt came up, to, came up to him, the pitching coach, and had introduced like a new grip to him that he could, instead of getting that breaking ball, which had already been elite, that was his best pitch um, up until then, he had give him, given him a grip that could, give you more horizontal movement on his breaking ball. And that's been a huge difference for both in his last four or five starts. He's been really impressive. And over the past month, he's been one of the Orioles' best starters. So really, really good stuff to see from Austin Vogt. Yeah, I mean, I, I was considering him or Mateo's five-hit game for my moment of the series. But I'm going to circle back to Mateo because him going five for five, uh, it was dazzling. And he was also pretty good defensively this whole series too which what we've been, we've been accustomed to saying i just i just like his mindset i mean he's when you get on base uh, a single it's kind of a double cuz he's stealing bases left and right i think his num i think his stolen bases was i think the number of stolen bases he has is at 26 but i'm not sure on that so uh if he just if he can put the ball in play he's pretty much guaranteed to get on base and once he's on first he's pretty much on second so it, he's been really impressive, and even if even with guys like Gunnar Henderson coming up, he could be in a utility role like a Ryan McKenna in the infield type of guy. Yeah, this Orioles roster is really loaded with a lot of depth, and I think we're seeing good problems, and we're having good, you know, hard discussions that I'm sure Mike Elias and the guys upstairs are definitely having because there's so much depth in this farm system. There's going to be a lot of tough decisions that had to, have to be made this offseason. 
you know, Michael Elias has said that Jorge Mateo is probably going to be around for a while. Um, but things can always change, um, and you never know. And I think in the in the outfield, especially for the Orioles, you know, we've had this issue with Kyle Stowers. He's been ready for a while now. They they want to call him up, but there's just no room. Even though you have guys like Cedric Mullins who aren't, who aren't you know performing at a thirty third level like he was last year, um, he's still bringing plus defense. Um, but and, and you also have Austin Hayes, who in his past forty five games only has twenty three hits. Um, he's been really slumping. Ever since that cycle, way back um, in June, um, it's just it's been really, at times, ugly from Austin Hayes. Um, but Anthony Santander is really what what is keeping Stowers from being up in the big leagues. He's been, I think, the Orioles' MVP up to this point. Or you could argue Adley Rutschman, but Santander. I mean, he has twenty homers. He leads the home. He leads the team in homers and RBIs, slugging percentage. Kyle Stowers not being here is a concern, but you can't look at it as, yeah, they've got this really good prospect in AAA who they won't give it, give a shot to at all. No, there's just too much depth um, in the major leagues. And if you're really trying to get in a wild card race, like we saw and get a wild card spot, like we saw with DL Hall, rookies struggle and Adley Rushman too. And I'm not sure you can expect Kyle Stowers to come up and make an immediate impact or replace or be better replacement than a guy like Santander at this stage. But he, like you said, he's a veteran presence. And while I'm just going to say he's ass, like when it comes to hitting, yeah, he brings that veteran presence. He brings great energy to the team. And with Gunnar Henderson, well, like you put him at like a third base spot. So like you would have probably a door at second and then Henderson at third with Arias. We can talk about that later, what we do with him. I, I do not say DFA Odor. Um, yeah, see, if I ever say like you have DFA Odor, my page, that's just me going crazy and me not being serious. But we need to keep Odor for the rest of the season. He's shown that he can show up in clutch moments. Uh, he's a he's a great guy in the locker room. I know he is. Uh, so he's a very good leader. Um, obviously, do not bring him back when the season's over. Like just this can be his one year with the team. But my whole stance on this is, if we want to bring Gunner up, I'm completely 110% fine with that. But I we need to keep Odor, whether it be a bench bat or keep starting him, just keep Odor. Yeah, I agree. He's Odor has postseason experience too, so he can bring that to the locker room and the team as a whole because our, our roster is really young, and these guys lack postseason experience. Even veteran-type guys like Jordan Lyles, they also lack postseason experience. So even though Odor might not be playing per se, he could still have the locker room as a whole, like you said. Yeah, I think next year, a conversation that needs to be had is, you know, this Orioles infield is going to be so loaded. What do you do with guys like Ramon Arias, given the assurgence, you know, the rise of Jorge Mateo this year? You know, earlier this year, we thought Arias was going to be our second baseman of the future, but now that Mateo has been showing out, I don't know what you do with a guy like him. Preferably, I would want to keep him, but I'd rather have Mateo because of how versatile he is with his speed and now that his bat is improving. Um, these are questions that need to be answered. See, here's the problem. You got guys like, and I'm even going to say it as well, like Taron Vavra, who I'm not sure about, not in terms of skill, but just in terms of what we're going to do with him. So Vavra, Mateo, Arias, because then you got guys like, well, Mateo's showing up. Then you got Westberg in the minors. You got um, Henderson. You got guys like even he might be a couple years away, but Kobe Mayo is someone I'm really high on. And even in like free agency, I, I don't see this happening personally, but let's say we get 
Correa or Trey Turner, what what are we going to do with guys like Vavra and Mateo and Arias? Like I say, keep Mateo around as a utility guy because if he can get his back going, which he has, he can be a top shortstop in the league because he's a menace on the base path, one of the fastest runners in the league. He plays elite defense. I think he should win the gold glove this year. And like I said, if he gets his back going, you could argue he should be a starter somewhere. So it's tough. Like, I really don't know what we're going to do for the future, but I am excited. Yeah, I mean, these are all good problems to have. Uh, and I do trust Eli- Elias, Mike Elias, because he's been through this already in, in Houston. So I, I like where this is going. It's already on the upward swing. And I'll, he even said that the championship window would be, even the postseason window, it would be from 2023 to, let's say, like 2028. Uh, so that's seven years from now. So it's definitely on the upward swing. And this year has been uh, just relieving for Orioles fans everywhere. I really do love Elias. I think the work that he's done has been great. Um, I just don't think he's going to spend that much money in free agency. I know he said that he's going to spend a lot this offseason, but then he said yesterday, um, I found this off of Melanie Newman's Twitter account. Apparently Elias said that most of the money that the Orioles spend this offseason is going to be from the arbitration deals that are going to raise players' salaries this offseason, like Santander and Hayes and Mullins and players like this who are due for a raise. So that's not great to hear um but again i guess it's a good thing that you're keeping guys like this around and they've shown that they can compete we'll move on to our next segment now we're gonna answer some questions that you guys sent to us on instagram so first up i have a question um it says from ronan sexton what small name prospect are you most high on um so i picked someone outside of the top 30 prospects um list from the beginning of this season i think now he's solidified himself as a mid-tier guy in this system. I think in any other system, he'd be ranked a lot higher. Um, but this is Darrell Hernandez, And this season with high A Aberdeen as a 20-year-old and now a 21-year-old, he's batting 290 with a 357 on-base percentage, and he's slugging 480, um, 10 homers, 17 doubles, and 22 stolen bases. This is a guy kind of like Gunnar Henderson. He can be a five-tool shortstop for you. Um, and like Gunnar Henderson, he's also really young. I really like the potential that Darrell Hernandez has. And he's going to be a 21-year-old starting 2023 in AA Bowie. So good things to look for from Darrell Hernandez. I think mine would be Gene Pinto. I He's at the bottom. He's like debatably in the top 30. I would say he is. Uh, he's in high A Aberdeen, but he's still young. He has potential. Uh, I really, I, I mean, he just, he's he's underrated. And he, like you said, it's kind of a situation where he would be uh, a top probably 15 prospect, maybe even 10 in any other organization. Uh, we signed him out of Venezuela. Uh, and he's he was so good in Sarasota that he got promoted. Uh, and he has a 1.95 ERA in 11 games and 50 innings in high A Aberdeen. So I really like where he's at. He's going to be on the upward swing uh, for years to come for us. Okay, now this is going, this is not answering the question because it was outside the top 30. But the 11th ranked Orioles prospect, Cesar Prieto, I hear absolutely nobody talking about him. And he's a stud. He has a 299 batting average, a 340 on base. He's only in high, I think, is he in double A? He's either in Aberdeen or double A. But he's a stud. I He needs to move up in the system. And he makes me think, what are we going to do in the future with our infield? Because He's another guy that I want to see get some playing time, either as just a utility guy or hell, even as a starter, because he deserves a spot. I want to see him start in um, AAA to begin the year next season. 
because I'm going to say it again. He's, he's a stud. I've loved watching him play. I've gone to a couple games. I've seen him play. Huge fan of him. And I hear nobody talking about him. He just deserves more respect. So that's my guy right there. As we said earlier, these are good problems to have. Over the course of the rebuild, we've fallen in love with all of these prospects because the, you know, the product on a major league team has not been that great. But as I think, as we see the Orioles get better in the major leagues, I mean, compete for championships, we're not going to be able to see all of these guys in a Baltimore Orioles uniform in the future. I mean, I think we're going to see some of these people, some of these players packaged in deals um, for pitchers, for, you know, bullpen help. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that's just part of the process. But, yeah, there's just so much infield depth, depth in this Baltimore system. And guys like Prieto are really making a name for themselves. The Orioles signed him last year out of Cuba, um, and he's just ascended through the system. I mean, he started in the FCL this year, and he's already at Double A. Um, so, I mean, I definitely think he has a shot to make the Major League team next year in 2023. So the next question I have, is there any current Oriole you see us trading in the near future? He says he thinks Mateo could be dealt. Um, personally, I'm not sure that Mateo is going to get dealt. I think Elias has been pretty clear um, in you know Mateo's recent hot streak that he's going to be here for a while. Um, he's he's really young. He's got even if he doesn't start at shortstop forever, he's definitely a guy who you want to use in a pinch runner situation. I mean, he just he steals bases like it's nothing. Um, so Mateo is a guy I think you definitely want to keep. But if there's one guy I think who could get traded. Um, I just think, I think it's still Santander. Um, I just think his, I don't know, his value is really high right now. I know it was pretty high in 2020 when he was like the most valuable Oriole or whatever, but he's hit 20 homers. He's got over 60 RBIs and he's been the core that's really been holding this Orioles team together from an offensive standpoint. Um, I'm sure plenty of teams would like his bat in a lineup, his glove, maybe not. Um, we see, we've seen him struggle in Tampa a lot, but I think one guy that could be traded this offseason to make room for Kyle Stowers and these other outfield prospects could be Santander. I think he's the odd man out. Yeah, I, I agree. I was actually going to choose Ramon Urias, but I don't know. It's debatable between those two. I actually have those two on the top of my list. I'm going to go with Urias. Uh, Santander is probably more likely. I still think uh, Uri if we don't call up Henderson, Urias is gonna have to. I mean, one of those guys is gonna have to get moved, and it's either gonna be Odor or Urias. We're probably gonna let Odor go. So, uh, but regardless, I still think Urias could get moved. Uh, even even with guys like uh Westbrook, Westberg and Mayo coming up uh, in the next couple of years, uh, there's gonna be it's gonna be so stacked. I I don't know what we're gonna do. Uh, but those are good problems, like you said. So I think Gurias would be the odd guy out. See, if we if we were gonna trade Anthony, I would think it would have been this year. But um, I was actually shocked when we didn't trade him. Um, but it, yeah, if I had to pick somebody on the team, it'd probably still be Anthony. Ramon's an interesting one as well because yeah, what are we gonna? I know I've said this like fifty times so far on the podcast, but like. What the hell are we gonna do when guys like Gunner and Westberg need to come up and Arias is just there? Like unless we want to keep him as a bench piece, which wouldn't be terrible, but Anthony is a guy that is also like holding guys like Stowers, um, Colton Kowser, hell, even like Heston Kerstead back from coming up to the major soon. So Santander, like out of the outfield, like Hayes Mullen, Santander, Anthony's probably the odd man out. So I'll um It'll be sad to see him go when he does, 
but I think uh, trading trading him is something we've got to do soon. The only problem I think with trading Santander is that when you take his bat out of the lineup, who do you have? I mean, you have like power bats, big bats in the middle of the order. You you got Mountcastle, um, but when he's slumping, he's shown that he's not the best player. When he's on, yeah, he's great. But that's just one. You've got Rutschman, who I think is going to be a number the number two spot for a while. Um, but outside of those two, if you take away Santander, who do you have? Um, I just don't think um, that's really the best move. I think that's, that's why they didn't trade him. I think there was probably what probably was a good offer for Santander at the trade deadline. Um, I just don't think the Orioles pulled the trigger because they knew that he was valuable to this team. Um, but this brings us to our next question, and this could be a guy who replaces Santander in the lineup next year and a guy who we know pretty well. Um, who the Orioles traded away to Houston earlier this year. And this is Trey Mancini, um, the longest tenured Oriole before he got traded this year. What are the chances that Mancini resigns with the Orioles this offseason? He's on an expiring deal with Houston. He's not playing that much. I'm sure he wants to play more. Dusty Baker, for whatever reason, is not inserting him in a starting lineup every day. They pretty much said from when when they traded him that he's going to be a bench piece for them. And they're going to start Yuli Gurriel, who's batting under 200, over Mancini, for whatever reason. I just don't think the chances of him resigning are high. He could probably get more money somewhere else. And I don't want to run into the same problem that we did this year of blocking guys in the minor leagues because you have a 31-year-old who this, you know the fan base is super attached to, and he's hard to let go. Um, and we also saw that even though Mancini left, guys like Stowers weren't even called up. Why? We don't know. Um, but they brought in Brett Phillips instead. So I, I would say overall, though, the chances of the Orioles resigning Mancini, probably less than 50%. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to agree with that. That's what my take was actually going to I was going to be, because you're clogging up a spot maybe in the outfield. But I, I don't know. The thing is, is he's if you're, he's going to resign, he has to be an everyday player. So you're blocking guys, like you said, like Stowers, who you're ruining their development. They're not coming up this year. Then they can't necessarily come up next year either. I mean, they could, but they would ride the bench. And if you if you re-sign him to a big contract, you have to have him play every day. You can't have him back up Ryan Mountcastle at first when Mountcastle is an off day. Mountcastle is still the first baseman of the future. I firmly believe that, even despite the slump that he has been in for the past month, you can't just block it off. So I, I I give it maybe under like maybe in like the 20 to 30 percent. The fan base loves him. Elias, I think, loves him. Uh, he said that he was willing to resign him, resign him. But I, I just don't I just there are too many like there are too many negatives that outweigh the positives in this scenario. I really do want to resign Ancini. I really, really do. Like, I'm just going to say it right now. I was tearing up when we traded him. I was so upset. I met him a few years ago. He's a great guy off the field, great guy on the field. And to Houston, like, how do you make Mancini a bench player? How do you bench him over Yuli Gurriel, who has an on-base less than, what, like 300? He has a zero war. How do you start this guy over Trey Mancini, who his first three hits with your team were all home runs? So th- the fact that they're – treating Mancini like this. I don't know why he would want to resign with them unless he just wants to keep on winning rings, which I don't blame him for that. But that the fact that he's a bench player now, that's going to make signing him, that's going to take less money now. So that's good for us. Another thing with Mancini is I don't know like where we put him in the roster, especially with our young guys coming up. So I really do want to resign him. I really, really do. But 
I just don't see how we would make it work for the future, unfortunately. It'll be really interesting to see what the Orioles do this offseason and free agency. Besides Mancini, we had a question asking, who are some free agents that the Orioles could sign that are realistic targets? Um, the Orioles, they've said that they're going to spend a lot of money, um, but what does that really mean and what does that really look like? Well, personally, I interpreted this as probably like we'll, we'd likely sign a mid-tier starting pitcher because our rotation has been kind of whack and it's not that great. So I was looking at guys like Sean Manaya. I mean, he's not going to be great per se. He's not going to be a number one starter, obviously. Uh, with us, he might be. But then we save some money for even the future down the line, or maybe we could make some more moves this free agency. But I mean, Sean Manaya is not bad. You would sign him for a uh, hopefully a decent contract and he would fill a void that we need so with free agency i don't see why any right-handed hitters are gonna want to come to our team because of what we did to our field so i see us mainly going after pitching and then left-handed hitters um for hitters i really do not know who we could go after because i don't want to signing outfielders because that's just gonna take the um playing time away from our young guys that are going to be coming up next year. But um, I know I said don't sign right-handed hitters, but guys like – and it's unrealistic, which I know isn't well, what the question did not say. But Trey Turner, man, if we want to spend some money in the offseason, we want to make a power move, go after this man. He's not a primary power hitter, so he shouldn't care about that wall too much. He's a great contact guy, really fast. You can put him at short, put Westberg at second, put Gunner at third, put Mountcastle at first. That's a dream scenario. And it's unrealistic, but I would love to have that happen. I see us signing like a mid-tier guy, like I said, but I feel like Trey Turner's at too much. And I forgot to mention this, but even a guy like well, he's good, but he might he might he's probably gonna opt out. Carlos Rodon. He's been very he's been elite with the Giants this year, so that's another option. But I mean, these guys are I, I don't know. We don't usually spend that much money in the offseason. Uh, but I, I mean, we want uh, Elias said that he wants to uh, continue to build our payroll. So maybe we attack some of these like guys like Correa, Rodon, Turner. But I just don't see it happening realistically. Yeah, I actually think that we we may actually go after Correa again. I mean, he's not having a great year with Minnesota. He's going to opt out of his deal per multiple reports. And because he's not having a great year, you're not going to have to pay him $30 million like you offered him last offseason. And now that this team is good, you can offer him more than a one-year deal. I think even something from something from the range of 20 to $25 million could get the job done for Correa, who has ties with Michael Elias and many others in this front office. And I think would be a really good veteran presence in this Baltimore infield long-term. So another question we had from Instagram again is, when do we think Gunnar Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez are going to debut? Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be next year? So for Gunnar Henderson, I think if they really wanted to go after it, if they wanted to ignore service time, um, then I think Friday, this Friday against Boston would be an option. But I think if you want to keep that extra year of service um, and call him up after the 24th, which would make him eligible to be a rookie next year, then I think September 2nd or 3rd against Oakland would be a good time to call him up. Although the issue there is that if you call up Gunnar Henderson then, then I don't think he would be able to – he wouldn't be eligible to be on the playoff roster. He'd have to be on the roster before September 1st to be on the playoff roster. So that could be an issue if you call up Gunner in September as opposed to late August. 
I, I don't know if we're even going to call him up. I mean, we I think we should, but I don't know if the front office wants to rush it. Same with Grayson Rodriguez. But as for Gunner, uh, like you said, it, it has to be sometime between August 24th or, or September 1st. And that is kind of a, a tough part of the schedule because they they're, we're on the road for all of that except for uh, two games against Chicago at home, the White Sox. But yeah, we're on the road, so I don't know if that's the greatest spot to debut him. So if if we even call him up for like a late season run, we wouldn't have him in the in in the postseason. So that would definitely not probably not be worth it in my opinion. So at that point, you might just consider keeping him in AAA. I was I would say around like I don't know, man. It's really a tough situation to gauge because we keep hearing reports day in day out. Uh, but I think you might, if if you really want him for a postseason run, if you get that opportunity, you might have to consider debuting him on the road. And I'd say that's probably coming in Cleveland on August 30th, although I doubt this organization would do that because I feel like you should debut this prospect, considering he's the number one prospect in baseball, like Adley was, uh, according to Baseball America. We should debut him at home, but it's a, it's a really tough part of the schedule to even go there. Grayson, I'm gonna. I'm, so what I'm gonna start off with saying something that, in my opinion, should be obvious, but I don't know if everyone feels this way. Grayson should not pitch this year. I don't care if he is not no longer injured, like before the season ends. I do not want him pitching a game this year because he's coming off a bad injury. I don't want to. Ru- I don't want us to rush him to the majors, where if he's coming off an injury and then jumping up a level, and he's a very young guy, and so like we do not need to rush him at all. In fact. I don't know if I want him on the opening day roster for next year. We can call him up in like May. That, that's what I'm hoping for. May 2023. Have him start next year in AAA. Let him get his stuff back, and he'll probably be ready by then. So with Gunner. Grayson was so close to a call-up before he got injured. I mean, he was on an incredible streak. I think one more start in AAA, and he's in Baltimore by early June. Um, yeah, yeah so, I was getting excited for that. Man, yeah, Grayson was literally like a few days away. I was like counting down the days so Grayson was going to make his Baltimore debut, and all of a sudden I see a video of him getting injured, and I'm in pain. It's ridiculous. I mean, and everybody knew it. Michael Elias knew it. The entire front office knew it. The entire fan base knew it. It's just really unfortunate to see. Um, but I think for Gunner, definitely, the time is now for Gunner. This stretch until August, until September 1st is key to see if the Orioles are going to call him up. Um, if they really want to push it, August 24th is your day. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, but the thing for Grayson, one more, one more thing on Grayson is that, you know, we saw with DL Hall, how he got roughed up in his first start, um, in the major leagues and for Grayson, who I think is going to be your future ace, one of the best pitchers in baseball, I think, in my opinion, down the line, do you really want his first taste of major league baseball to be in September with all this pressure in a wild card race, um, when you can't even use him in the playoffs, um, I just don't think that's the best situation for him to be in mentally um, and as his first taste of the big league. So that kind of brings us to our next question, um, which is about DL Hall. Um, So he started in game two for the Orioles and he gave up five runs. He had six strikeouts, but he also had three walks. And that's been an issue for DL Hall, um, really his, his whole professional career in the minors. He walks too many guys. He walks six guys, six batters per nine innings in the minor leagues and with major league hitters being a lot better than the minor leagues, that number could tick up a lot. So what did you make of D.L. Hall's first start? Was there more good than bad or the other way around? 
I actually, it was fine. I, although I, I don't know. I really didn't really, I, I, I don't, his command was iffy and he was getting, I, I didn't watch much of the game because I was in a bad spot, but regardless, I saw highlights. His stuff was, it was fine. And then when he struck out the side in the second inning, it looked great for him. And then the third in, inning was just shaky. Uh, And I think he was at 60 pitches at the end of the third inning, which isn't efficient at all, but I feel like he would be better in a Keegan Aiken type of role. Uh, Maybe like back, back off like Austin both like I said an opener both could be the opener uh and then you have DL Hall which I think they're planning to do because that's what Elias said uh have DL Hall back off both and have him pitch the middle innings and then to go with the rest of your bullpen whatever you need to do depending on the score game whatever etc that doesn't really matter so uh I actually think it was fine for him I kind of expected it uh he was shaky with his command and that's what I thought coming into the game it's what happened it is what it is, but I like him in a reliever role instead of as a starting pitcher. Maybe he can be uh, starting in the rotation down the line, but for now, uh, I like him in a reliever role for the rest of this year. I mean, his his stuff is just so electric. Um, I just I just think that Elias pulled the plug at the worst possible time. I mean, this is the biggest series of the year, and you're just going to throw in your your rookie starting pitcher against a Tampa Bay lineup. I mean, that's not really that great, but I think Elias – did not choose the right time to de- to debut DL Hall, and I think it may cost them down the line. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I did we really like desperately? This is an actual question I'm asking you guys. Did we like desperately need another starter in the majors before DL came out? Um, I actually don't think so because we had Spencer Watkins, and we, it, I mean, it, it, we he came in out of the bullpen, but I would have preferred to start Watkins and keep DL in the minors. Uh, compared to just throwing him into a pressure pressure situation, which you said like Grayson could lead to problems. We saw it with DL firsthand. You don't want to have it do it two times in a row with Grayson, who's in a much better spot than DL Hall right now. But yeah, overall, I think we should just start Spencer Watkins. He seemed fine. Uh, I I don't know. I just don't really get it. I don't get what Elias was doing. You're right. I saw Spencer Watkins in the bullpen that day. Um, DL was starting. And he, he has surprised me this year. Watkins really did not like Spencer Watkins at all. Every time he pitched, he would just he would piss me off. Um, but I don't know why we moved him to the bullpen for that game. He's been perfectly fine as a starter. And people are going to not like me for saying this, but I am realistic. Um, DL's debut went exactly how I thought it was going to go. That second inning, that, that is something I expected. Um, him striking out the side that was incredible. It showed what he can do when he's like on his game, but his fastball was all over the place. Where if you paid attention to him in the minors, that happened a lot. He had he could not control his fastball, which leads to him giving up a, a good amount of walks. I will say he gave up like five runs, pretty sure. Um, not all of those runs were his fault. Something that pissed me off that Randy Rosarena double and that Santander just let get right by him that I think he could have easily snagged, which would have saved a run or two. Um, but yeah, DL's debut, it was not pretty besides that second inning. And it went how I expected it to go. But I think, I mean, this apparently is an unpopular opinion because I'm hearing a lot about moving DL to the bullpen. I'm fine with that if we're gonna bring if we're going to bring him up later this season. But I want him to be a starter. I think if he can get his fastball under control, he can can be a very good starter, one of the best left, left-handers in the entire league, I would argue. I've Surprisingly, I've seen people that are not liking him already after that one start, and those people are ridiculous, man. People that give up on rookies after, like, one or two bad games. Like, 
Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, even Adley Rushman, they had, they were not good like their first month in the league. Um, Spencer Torkelson is still not doing good at all, but I think he can turn it around. You just got to give these rookies time. You can't expect them to come right out of the gate and play like all-stars. Yeah, I would like him to be in a reliever role. It would not amp him up as much, and he wouldn't feel as much pressure as to a starter this year because we're competing. I just – I don't know. Like, Michael Elias, what are you doing? I mean, you say so you want him in a reliever role for the rest of the season, right? But you still say his long-term long-term goal you have for him is to be a starting pitcher down the line. But don't you think this hurts his development if he's now not going to get a start for the rest of the season going into next season when he's going to be starting for the first time in months? I just don't think it was the right idea. If you want to develop, develop him as a reliever, make him a reliever earlier earlier in the year this year so you don't have this hiccup with him at the major league level in his first career start, that could cost you a game down the line. I don't know. He didn't look great in AAA this season. Um, maybe I think really the reason for that, um, he just had a lack of innings that he's pitched like in his career because he's been so injury prone. He had the injury last year in the second month of the season. He only pitched five games that year after he looked dominant. I just think an issue with D.L. Hall is that he just does not have enough innings under his belt. And I think that's why he needed to stay in AAA and, just fix that command. Hopefully he fixes it in the off season, um, goes to some, I don't know, some training, goes on some training plan or whatever, and comes back in spring training and is better. Um, but I don't know. His stuff is just so good. His ceiling is sky high. He could be a Shane McClanahan type of guy, but he's got to get this command under control because at this level, at, at this stage, with what he's got going on right now, with all the walks, it's not going to play in the major leagues. But that leads us to our next question. Um, still sticking on the start, topic of starting pitching. And if the Orioles were to end up getting this wild card spot, whether they're at home or on the road, who would be their starting pitcher in game one? Okay, so this is my take on this. I think it depends on a lot of factors. If it's a tight race heading into it, just uh, you're, you have – okay, this is – it's interesting because of the lockout. The season ends on a Wednesday. It's Wednesday, October 3rd. And then I believe the wild card starts on October 5th, but that's a Friday. But I could be mistaken. Uh, regardless, you have like a day or two off before you have to play in the wild card game. So you throw out your regular rotation. And then if, if well, preferably you would have a guy like, I, I think it would be Jordan Lyles to start a wild card game. I know it might sound crazy and stupid and wild, but. I, I really think he's a veteran presence. He He's not great. He's not fantastic. So, I mean, he's not great, but he's not that bad either. So he would be fine to start a wild card game, but it's a three-game series. So you have to make sure you have to win game one or game two. So if you throw out Lyles, maybe you aren't winning, but you can have him go like four innings, have the bullpen take over. The bullpen has been great. And then I don't know about the rest, but we can figure that out. But I think it's weird because the season ends on a Wednesday. It just depends on a lot of factors, in my opinion. I only I, I think the only factor that really matters here is who's like pitching the last game of the season. Because if it's anyone well, here, okay, to answer the question, I want the guy starting the wild cream, Tyler Wells. I think Tyler Wells overall has been our best starter this season. I trust that man with my life. I, he, I, he's been he, – he has impressed me a lot. The problem with Jordan Lyles is while he has done well, in fact, he has like a 2.7 ERA at Camden Yards this year, so that's obviously really good. The problem with Lyles is he, give, he lets a lot of guys on base – and especially in the playoffs, you just cannot allow that. 
obviously he has to start at some point, but if it's for like a wild card game and we like need a win, like give the ball to Tyler Wells. I trust that man. Brandon High trusts Jordan Wiles so much. I mean, even in this, even in the game in game three against Tampa Bay, um, I still think Jordan Wiles. It, it was a pretty. I mean, he he ran into some bad luck. I mean, I think if you don't pitch to Randy Randy Rosarena there, that they don't get any runs there. And I think the game is tied going into the bottom of the ninth inning when you still have a chance to win the game in extras. Um, but I think High still throws uh, Lyles out there on like three days rest. He, I think he'd do that. Um, but I think like if you if you had a game two or game two, I think you'd throw out like Tyler Wells and Watkins to like piggyback. And then if there was a game three, I think you'd do both in Bradish in another piggyback situation because after the wild card round, there's a few days off before the um, divisional series. So yeah, I, I still think Jordan Lyles would be your guy. I think I still would want it to be Wells, but I don't know how he's going to be coming back off of his injury. He was a little he was inconsistent. After the All-Star break, he had been amazing before the All-Star break. Maybe it's because he's pitched a new career high in innings. Never thrown this many innings before, but really interesting to see um, what the Orioles will do if they do, in fact, get there. And that brings us to our next question, which is, do the Orioles actually get there? Are they real wildcard threats? Are they threats to make the postseason? And do we really think it's going to happen? I mean, it's tough because this month of August determines a lot. They're facing teams like Cleveland, Houston, and then their own division rivals. Like we've seen Boston, we've seen Toronto, we've seen Tampa Bay. We see Toronto again. Uh, so the rest of the schedule is going to be tough. But Tampa also has a tough schedule, even harder than us down the stretch. So it's definitely a possibility. We'll have some. We have. We'll have to have some good luck. The pitching, the starting pitching, has to be key because if if they're struggling. It doesn't really give us hope, although we're a late-inning team. At our bullpen, we can't overwork them, but they've been fantastic this year. We can't say enough about them. They've been amazing. But I, I do think there's we are true contenders. I mean, we've gotten this far. It's shocking, but we've done it somehow, some way. Uh, and although our month of August is uh, tough and the rest of the year, uh, I do believe that this team is so gritty that they'll find a way. I just think we've seen so many times this year, like the Orioles have a yeah. loss like they did in game three, and then they come back and they just shock the world again. They go on like a five-game winning streak after a tough loss, and they just bounce back. So it's really good to see from the Orioles. But I just think, I mean, I don't think this is our year. We may we may sneak into the playoffs, but we're not going to do anything after that. Um, we're going to be on the road, most likely. We're not. There's not going to be a home game in Baltimore, which would be crazy at Camden Yards, but that's not going to happen. But next year, definitely. I think, like, I'm, I'm calling it now. Next year, we're going to be the AL East champs. I, I I really think that's possible with all the studs we've got coming up with the studs we already have now. I think that's definitely a possibility um, in 2023. I think that's definitely a realistic possibility, but saying we're going to make the playoffs this year, like <clears throat> that, I mean, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, like, are we going to make the playoffs? Because obviously my heart wants to say, yes, we're going to make it and we're going to do something in the playoffs, like positive. I think we can make it. We do have a tough schedule. We play Boston like nine times. And even though they haven't been the best this season, they're always, you know, division games are always tough no matter what. Uh, we got, I think we only play the Yankees like three more times the entire year. Um, Toronto's the last series. That's going to be a huge series. Probably I'm going to call it the biggest series of the entire year, bigger than this series that we just played against Toronto. Um, we play Oakland, Washington, Toronto like once again like nine more times 
um, Houston six times. Um, so it's going to be tough. Like we have a way tougher schedule than like teams like Seattle. Um, but I, I can, I can see us making the playoffs like with how we have been playing. I can absolutely see it happening, but it is going to be tough. Series at the end of the year is at home in Baltimore August, or October 3rd through the 5th. That's going to be, I mean, Cam and, it's on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but Cam and the is going to be packed and, and, and loud if, if the Orioles have a chance to make the postseason, then I just I just don't see it happening. I mean, I think the first spot's going to go to Seattle. I think they're a lock. Their strength of schedule is just it's too it's too strong for them. Um, they're going to cake. It's going to be a cakewalk for them to to get into the playoffs. And I think the final two spots are going to come down to these AL East teams. Um, I think Tampa is going to get in because they're going to get healthier. I uh, I just think this it's going to be the Orioles one of the AL Central teams and Toronto for that last spot. And the Orioles have to win these games against the Blue Jays. They got off to a good start um, last week um, with the two wins, but they, they go on the road here for three games coming up and uh, 10 more games after that. So really, really crucial baseball coming up against a team that you need to win this season series against to keep your playoff hopes alive. Yeah, I mean, like like Nelson said earlier, uh, he said that the championship window is from twenty twenty three, so next year to to whenever like twenty twenty eight, like I said. But I the last the last month, not even the last month, the last three weeks of our schedule, we play Houston, we play we play Boston, we play New York, and then we play Toronto to wrap it up. So that's a big three weeks of at the end of the year. We're gonna have to play our best baseball. Our guys are going to be tired, but it is what it is. I mean, I, I don't want to be biased, but uh, I'm just saying there's a chance. There's always a chance. This team has heart. We'll see what they can do. Yeah, there is always a chance with this team. You never know what to expect from them. Never know what you're going to get, but they proved us wrong so far this season. And we're in mid-August, and they're in the midst of a wild card race. Who would have? Who would have thought? coming into this season when they were projected to be the bottom feeders of the division again, once again for the fifth year in a row. And that just hasn't been the case. They're up there competing with the really some of the AL's best teams. Um, but I do think one other thing that is kind of hurting the Orioles is just their schedule is just so hard. They still play Houston seven times. Yeah, New York isn't playing their best baseball right now, but they still play them away um, in that Mickey Mouse Park at Yankee Stadium. And they play Toronto all these times. Yeah, Toronto's struggling right now, but their their lineup is really, really good. Their pitching may not be there yet, but their lineup is formidable. Um, so it's going to be a challenge, but we'll see if they can pull it out. So we've got a three-game series coming up against Toronto to begin this week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And this is really big for Baltimore. They're two and a half games back of Toronto right now. A sweep puts you ahead of them, and – Tampa Bay is in New York. So, yeah, the Yankees are struggling, but they're still a really, really formidable team, and they can make up some – they can beat Tampa Bay easily, I think. With their offense, um, they're just going to outscore Tampa Bay. So, again, still some game, some chances to make up some games for Baltimore as they head into this crucial three-game series against the Blue Jays. I mean, we are a much better team now. Um, and Toronto can't take away our players this time. We got our guys now. Aiken has been very good in the bullpen this year. Santander has been that guy. Um, but yeah, like I've, I've said it in um, 
in some group chats that I'm in. It's and it's weird to say. Like earlier this year, I said, um, there's no such thing as a must-win game because we're the Orioles. But now it's the complete opposite. This is a must-win series. Um, against Toronto, we have to take two out of three. Obviously, the season's not over if we don't, but it will not be looking good at all if we lose the series. But um, I I believe in our guys. I think that we can absolutely take at the very least two out of three from Toronto with Kikuchi. Stripling's not that good. Even Manoa. Um, yeah, so I can I can really see it happening. I can see us doing well. Yeah, and with Tampa playing New York, they're not in an any easier spot than us. So if we take two out of three and say Tampa loses two out of three, we'd only be a half game back. So there's definitely a chance. Man, New York is struggling right now, though. Like I I can't believe I'm saying this, but I mean for the for this upcoming series, let's go Yankees. Like I we need them. Like we desperately need them to get things going again just for this series. Then we can keep prying on their downfall after that. But like we need like if they could sweep Tampa, that would be the greatest thing in the world. But like the problem with the Yankees is, and this isn't me just hating on them, like if Judge is not going, then their team is not good. They need Aaron Judge. So we need like a big series from him and we need them to beat Tampa. Why not us? Why not the Orioles? They've they've come so far. Why stop now? Um, it's been really fun to watch them this season. I know we've got so many games left, still a month and a half of baseball still to play. Um, but they just they've just been such a fun team to watch, and it's gonna get even better um into next year and into the future. It's gonna be fun to watch what they do this offseason, um, and how they pick it up um next year. But one last question. Um, and the AL East has been so good for really a long time now. The Yankees have been running the division. Um, the Red Sox have been competitive for a while now. The Rays have been finding ways to win. And Toronto, even though they haven't made the playoffs since we did in 2017, they've been winning some games. Um, but where do you guys think the AL East stands um, in the future? Are they? Is it always going to be this dominant? Personally, I don't think so. Um, I think this could be really one of the last years that you see the Yankees as the front runners of this division. Um, I mean, Aaron Judge is going to be a free agent this season, this offseason. Um, yeah, I think that they may come to an agreement there, but Judge can get some pretty serious money elsewhere. Um, so if you lose Aaron Judge, the Yankees team may not be that great. And they have – their farm system is not packed. They don't have some, you know, really great guys coming up in their system. Um, but I do think Tampa Bay is always going to be there um, because they're just such a well-run well organization. Um, and in Toronto with all the studs they have, uh, but New York and I think Boston really may not be on the brighter side of um, winning all these games come the next few years. So even if the Yankees sign judge, they're going to have to pay them a lot of money. They Even with their crazy payroll, they might be stripped from signing big names or even trading for big names in the future. So we'll see. But yeah, I Toronto is going to be good. Tampa Bay is always going to be Tampa Bay. And then our farm system is just stacked from top to bottom. Uh, so I really like where we're at. I think they're going to be like two to three uh, teams, us, Toronto and Tampa Bay in the future that are going to run the AL East. So we'll see. But uh, like you said, I don't think Boston's not in that much better of a spot than the Yankees either. So we'll see what happens between them too. Listen, the AL East, I think it's going to continue to be the best division in baseball. It already is. I don't care what Dave Roberts says. The AL East is the best division in baseball, the most competitive, and I think it will probably stay that way. 
The Yankees have unlimited money anyway, basically. Salary cap's not a thing for them. The Yankees, unfortunately, they'll be playoff chokers as always, um, but they will continue to be the Yankees. The Rays have amazing young talent. When Wanda Franco comes back, it's going to be even better for them. Toronto, ton, like just like the Rays, tons of young talent. They have a really bright future. The Red Sox, the thing with the Red Sox is I think they'll be good, but I really do not see them doing anything significant for the future. And then the Orioles, baby, the Orioles, best farm system in baseball. We're, we are slowly but surely building a super team, in my opinion. Mike Elias has done a great job. Um, I just want to get – I mean, he's just – he's really turned this organization around. I mean, before with Duquette, they had some I – mean, he, he drafted okay, um, but they weren't in the international free agent market. They weren't um, developing guys. Their player development um, system was not working. Um, and he he just – he wasn't that great. So really good job by Elias in this front office for turning this, this organization around and – making it a, real, a well-run organization like it has been for so many years. But that pretty much wraps it up for us on this episode of the Birdie Breakdown Podcast, a crucial, crucial season-making or breaking series against the Blue Jays away in Toronto. It's coming up Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for the Orioles. They need to win this series. It's absolutely necessary for them to keep their playoff hopes alive. Make sure you follow the Press Orioles fan on Instagram and Orioles Unified on Instagram. Make sure you follow the Birdland Beat as well. 